Welcome to Sport Faith Life. I'm Chad Carlson. And I'm Brian Bolt. We're two guys from rival schools who came together with one common purpose, to think deeply about sport and faith. We're sports scholars, we're coaches, and we're competitive athletes, or at least we were. And together, we've created Sport Faith Life, a conversation that meets at the intersection of sport and faith. Welcome to Sport Faith Life, the podcast that meets at the intersection of sport and faith. I'm Brian Bolt, and I'm here with my co-host, Chad Carlson. And this is kind of a special day for Sport Faith Life. We're releasing this podcast in the regular audio version on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. But if you want to watch the podcast on video or see a video version of it, we are here on the campus of Calvin University in the studio because the person we're interviewing today is the new president of Calvin University, Dr. Weba Bohr. Dr. Bohr, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So we're really excited to to, uh, speak with him, and we're just going to dive right in. So Weba, thanks so much. So excited to talk with you. I wonder if you can start by sharing with us a little bit about sport in your life. Yes, very good question. Um, So I was born and raised in Nigeria, uh, and as everyone knows, football is the is the most popular sport in Nigeria. Uh, so I grew up as a kid playing football, uh, but I was never actually good enough because, you know, everyone in Nigeria is really good. So the sport I eventually took to competitively was actually long distance running. And the way that that happened is in grade four, um, we were on furlough in Canada. And I went to one semester in uh, Vancouver, one, one semester of school in, in Vancouver at Vancouver Christian Elementary School. And there was a coach there who saw me running in PE and said, oh, wow, you have the potential to be a long-distance runner and started training me. Uh, I went back to Nigeria and continued running. Uh, and then there was uh, actually some Christian Reformed missionaries there who were big in, into long-distance running. His name was Al Beerling in particular. Um, and then he took me on it and started coaching me along with others. And so even in grade six, I was running with the high schoolers. Um, eventually uh, set the school record for the 5,000 meters and also was the city champion. Um, now, in Nigeria, the long distance running is not very popular. Uh, but where we grew up, where I grew up in Jos, Nigeria, it's at a mile in elevation. So it's actually the same kind of elevation as Nairobi, as Eldoret, as those places in Kenya and, and East Africa where you hear of all these great long distance runners. So all the top long distance runners and records are actually from people, made by people from that part of Nigeria. So it was the only part of Nigeria where long distance running was actually competitive. Um, so I was the city champion, um, and then the couple of times I was at, I ran at the state level. Plateau State was the state. The problem was, even though it was supposed to be a 5,000-meter race on a track, um, the tracks were uneven and different distances, and so it was actually essentially a, a cross-country race. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there would literally be goats and things like that on the track. There would be people walking around. I mean, because 12 and a half laps, people would get bored. Um, but, yeah, so it was an interesting experience. Uh, then I came to Calvin and uh, joined the cross-country team at Calvin. Um, One of the reasons I chose Calvin was because I thought Brian Deemer was recruiting me. (laughs) And what it was is one of my cousins, because my parents wanted me to come to Calvin, and I, I, you know, as a typical teenager, I wanted to go where I wanted to go. Um, But they got a cousin of mine to ask Brian Deemer to write me a note. So I thought I had been recruited to Calvin, but when I got to Calvin and went to cross-country training, Brian Deemer had no idea who I was. (laughs) Um, That first year, I think this is often difficult when you are a 
high school athlete and you're very good where you come from, when you get to the university level, it's a very different story, right? Mm -hmm. And so the first, my first cross country season was a struggle. I mean, I wasn't used to the level of training and fitness. When the weather got cold, you know, there was one day we had a race that morning and I saw it had snowed outside and I just stayed in bed. I thought, well, it snowed, we won't go anywhere. Um, <laughs> and apparently <laughs> we actually still raced in snow. <laughs> um, and so the first year was a bit hard. Uh, then I made a big breakthrough during our first track season. Um, we did a, um, a, a summer trip to Alabama. I don't know if the track team still uh -huh. does that. And I made a huge, I broke my 5,000 meter record by like a minute and a half. Um, and then really broke through years. My sophomore and junior year, I was on the, I was third man, um, all MIAA. We won the MIAA championship, went to nationals. Uh -huh. um, so yeah, I actually did, did decently. Um, at one point I'd, after that, I then went back to Nigeria for a year and it was at the University of Joss for a year and actually qualified to compete for represent Nigeria at the West African University Games hmm. in steeplechase and 5,000 meters. And then I was told, sorry, you're not Nigerian, you can't do this. Uh, and so that was the end of my beginning and end of my international career. Um, and then I came back and did my last year at Calvin. So I, I, I competed all the way during that period as a long distance runner. Uh, but then went back to my first love of football as a fan, and I remain a fan. And in fact, even did my doctoral dissertation on the hi social history of football in Nigeria. Mm -hmm. well, we're so excited to hear more about that. It's a fascinating background. Thanks for sharing. I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about faith in your life. Yes. So faith specifically related to sports or just generally? Faith generally. Okay. So I am, you know, Calvinist through and through. Uh, and so faith is part of everything I do, you know, and it's, it's, both at, at work, at play, at home, at church. Um, and it really just influences everything I do in life. Um, so, and I, since this is specifically about sports, I think what does faith and sports have to do with each other? Um, you know, I think as an athlete, you know, part of being an athlete and training yourself is actually using talents that God has given you. And I often get frustrated when I see incredibly talented athletes who don't work hard and don't push themselves because it's, it's their way of worship, right? And God has given you this talent and you need to use it to praise him. Um, and, and I think that's why I see sports as such an important part of what we do as Calvin, part of the whole kind of experience here of, um, you know, you, there's no reason you can't claim every square inch also in sports. And, you know, sports, I think broadly, you often have this idea of sort of the jock, which isn't necessarily someone that you think of as sort of having a Christian character. But what I love about the athletes that I've observed here, okay, I haven't gone into the locker room, so maybe it's different there, <laughs> but on the field of play and all that, I see incredibly good sportsmanship. I see incredibly strong work ethics um, and a great representation of who we are. You know, and even our, our, our football soccer team, um, even on their logo, it has a cross. And I just think that's really great. And when they're wearing that logo, it should, I hope, remind them of who they're representing um, and who gave them the talent they have. And I think it actually makes a big difference in, big difference in how you are on the field. Um, and you can actually be an evangelist and a minister even on the field. Yeah, so, and we really appreciate the way you've already started to connect mm -hmm. sport and faith. And we're going to try to circle back mm -hmm. to that a little bit. And if you're uh, here at Calvin, you kind of live a life in open book, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of people know a lot about you, but we have listeners from all over. So mm -hmm. I wonder if there's something about yourself, something about your life that you could you know, reveal, tell us, something uh, that's unusual, a hobby, something right. about you. Yeah, I think most people know all of it. Okay, I guess one, <laughs> one thing unusual is that I have passports from three countries. I'm a citizen of three countries, but I wasn't born in any of them. Ah. Um, the country I was born in, I'm, I basically can't be a citizen of. 
Um, so that's, I think yeah. that's, that's unusual. Um, I think usually when I tell people that I was, I have the, 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 nat, the, the school, re- the city record for high schoolers in my city in Nigeria, they don't believe that because I look a little heavier now. <laughs> um, what else? Um, I once rescued my baby son from Al Qaeda. Um, that was the part of the, the speech he gave that he didn't mention that the people I rescued him from were actually Al Qaeda operatives. Wow. Um, huh. Is that good enough? That's great. I mean, okay. I, uh, that little section of the speech, those of uh, you that heard the inauguration, I've shown that little yeah. section to a lot of people. And so that was Al Qaeda. Very yeah. interesting. Yeah. Huh. So let's talk about your book a little bit, yes. because you decided that sport was enough mm-hmm. of a force in your childhood and mm-hmm. in your young adulthood mm-hmm. to write about it. I mean, right. you said, um, I was really interested in being a footballer, but yeah. in the end, I was a runner. Yeah. Um, so you think sport, particularly in Nigeria, is a unifying force or can be a yes. unifying force. What do, you yes. mean, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so, so let me give you a bit of the backstory. So um, when I started graduate school at, at Yale to do my PhD in 97, um, the, the kind of trend in history was historical studies was um, deconstructive deconstructionism, which was essentially telling us how every historical story told was wrong mm-hmm. and should be retold and all that. And it, to me, it just seemed that there was so many African stories, African history stories that needed to be told that we shouldn't deconstruct but we should construct Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I asked every Nigerian I met over the two-year period I was doing my coursework what is something that is national positive unifying and historical and the only answer regardless of gender ethnicity you know socioeconomic um, status education whether they lived in Nigeria or abroad wherever whatever the only answer was football that's the only thing that is historical positive, national, and unifying for Nigeria, which obviously is a concern. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also then gave me a mandate to write on that, you know, which was convenient since I'm an obsessed football fan. Um, so I had a, one of my main doctoral advisors was a, a, a scholar from Gambia named Lamin Sane, who is one of the most world-renowned scholars of African Christianity and African religious history. Um, very interesting story. He grew up as a Muslim, went to Islamic Quranic school and all that, and converted to Christianity on his own through the Quran because of how much Mm. the Quran mentions Jesus. Mm. And so he was my doctoral advisor. um, And we were, I was TAing for him in a class he was teaching in the summer of 98 in, at Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. And the World Cup started. And there we were watching the World Cup together. And I said, so Professor Sané, what do you think about if I wrote on football? And he, he just, oh, that's brilliant. Loved the idea. So he then supported me to take it forward. But the additional piece was initially I wanted to write on something about the history of Christianity or Christian missions in Nigeria or West Africa. And he advised me that because I grew up as a missionary kid, any perspective I took, I would be, I would be say, they would say I had a bias, mm-hmm. right? If I was positive towards it, oh, it's because I'm defending. If it was negative, oh, it's because I have a trauma because of the, you know, something like that. So he, he and I were, act- he was actually trying to advise me to move away from that. And then when I suggested this, he thought that was a great idea. Mm. But ultimately, what's interesting is in academia at that time, and I'm not as close to the African history studies right now, but anything that was brought by Christianity to Africa was always seen as some imposition, right? Something negative. Professor Sane's argument was that it's actually through Christian missions 
that African languages survive because of Bible translation and therefore cultures. And so the diversity in Africa today is actually thanks to Christian missions. Mm. And that's something like 98% of conversion wasn't from foreign missionaries, it was from Africans evangelizing each other, right? However, the story is that Christianity was an imposition, all this. So he said, why don't you write about football, which is actually more foreign to Africa than Christianity. There's no indigenous word in Nigeria for ball. So it's not like there was even something. And then write about it as something that's national and unifying and see if you get the same criticism about it being an imposition from foreigners. Nobody, there was none. So it just shows that the, the bias against mm-hmm. you know, imposition is, is very narrow. And it's based on, you know, anyway, it's based yeah. on a kind of a, an agenda. Mm-hmm. So, so that's yeah. really interesting because it seems like yeah, soccer, football would clearly have been part of an imposition coming from a colonial empire. Mm-hmm. Can you speak a little bit about sort of some of the, the origins of football in, in Nigeria mm-hmm. and, and, and how we got to the modern day uh, soccer culture that we have today? Right. So the first, so the first football game in Nigeria was played in, well, that was written and recorded, was played in 1904. Uh, and it was at a missionary school, a missionary um, school in, in a city called Calabar in southeast Nigeria. And so it is a bit a part of the story in that in England at the time, the sport of the elite, the sports of the most elite was polo. So that was, you know, if the aristocracy, milit- you know, the military, senior military and colonial leaders, they played polo. Next level was cricket. And then this, the, the sport of the common man and the sort of the, the lower class was football. Right. So what was interesting is that on the in colonial Nigeria, therefore, cricket was played in the government schools, the government sponsored schools and football was played in the mission schools because the missionaries were mostly working class. Right. And so there was actually kind of a class level to it right then, um, right, right from the beginning. Um, and that's part of why eventually football took off and cricket didn't. And so most people don't realize this, but in the 1920s and 1930s, cricket was actually bigger in Nigeria than football. But it always not only had this sort of upper class, but also a racial element. There was always an an African cricket association and a European cricket association. Football was one of the only, only activities of any kind in colonial life and any sphere of life that didn't have any racial element to it from the beginning. The original Nigerian Football Association was founded in 1933, and at the table were Africans and Europeans. Um, and so it was, it was sort of non-racial, non-divisive right from the beginning, and it, it, just, it was something that brought people together from day one. That's, that's pretty revolutionary. I mean, when you think about it, right, no other sport really walks through that path or starts mm-hmm. that way. And you would imagine that at that time, there would have been uh, a lot of forces trying mm-hmm. to pull those things apart. Mm-hmm. To what mm-hmm. do you attribute, is there something about the game? Is there something about uh, the fact that it was tied to mission work? Mm-hmm. That How would you describe why football went in that direction and kind of stayed clear mm-hmm. of race distinctions mm-hmm. and maybe even class distinctions mm-hmm. other than being compared to cricket. Right. Um, yeah, give, me, give us a thought on that. Yeah, I, I think a big part of it was because it was seen as the lower class sport. Mm-hmm. And so there was less concern of using that as a way to identify us versus you. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was more than, you know, those who played football were more ready to just play, play with anyone. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, th- there was no ideology. It just happened that way. I wonder if you can speak a little bit more to the relationship between um, soccer and cricket, 
specifically mm -hmm. in Nigeria, where uh, plenty of scholars have talked about the ways in which cricket was racialized and, and showed class hierarchies in the West Indies, mm -hmm. other colonies around the, around the world mm -hmm. where it became popular. Soccer sticks here mm -hmm. somehow. You talk about it being the sport of, of the masses. Was mm -hmm. there something um, about the indigenous culture in Nigeria that would have been more accepting of that? Right. Well, it's, there's, it's actually broader. So let's even go beyond Nigeria. So if you look at anywhere around the world where the British had very strong colonial influence, then sports like cricket and rugby, which were upper class sports, are more popular. Right. So think of India, very deep. British influence and, you know, colonial service, um, you know, Australia, New Zealand, it's, it's rugby and cricket. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, they play football now, but no, it's not, doesn't have oh, the same level. Yeah. Um, but then w the West African colonies, um, was probably where the British had the least in impact and almost all the education was done by missionaries. Mm -hmm. Um, then in places like Brazil and Argentina, the British never colonized there, but the British had a huge commercial influence there. And so the commercial folks were the, again, they were the merchants, the traders, the middle class. They brought football. They didn't bring mm -hmm. cricket. Um, and rugby, they did, rugby did end up in Argentina, but I believe that's a different story. So, so that pattern actually goes around the world. So where football is popular, it's where the British had a different kind of influence than where mm. cricket is popular. Um, and it, it pretty what because even East Africa, um, cricket and, and Southern Africa, cricket and rugby are actually have traditionally been more popular than football, although it's changed a bit now, but traditionally that was the case. So it's, it's actually more of a global, a global thing. Um, now, what was the question about Nigeria in particular? It had to do, I, I thought your answer was exactly what I was looking for. Okay, good, yeah, good enough. Great. All right. right. So okay. let me jump forward a little bit okay. now, right? Because this history is there. And then, like you said, it's described by just about everyone, maybe everyone, as this unifying force, this positive force. What have been the moments uh, mm -hmm. in your lifetime mm -hmm. that you've experienced that? Because you describe yourself mm -hmm. as a, a football fan, right? Yes. Uh, maybe a crazed football fan, right? So, much, uh, and your your, your <laughs> eyes light yeah. up, right? When you yeah. when you talk about what are the big moments yeah. that you remember? Yeah. We yeah. often remember the things that like hit us emotionally. Yeah. Um, so the earliest. So uh, interestingly, I was born within a month of when the Netherlands lost the World Cup the first time, the first final, mm -hmm. in '74. Um, so I, I it. Football was there, you know, was was with me from the beginning. Um, but I, I think the first I remember was Nigeria winning the African Cup for the first time in 1980. So I was six, and I just remember that was a big deal. Um, the first time I think I was sort of old enough to really be a fan was the um, 82 World Cup. Um, I'm trying to remember. It was in Spain and Italy won, and there was Salvatore Scalacci, and I don't know if you remember these names. Uh, uh, barely, right? Barely, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. but um, and there was these amazing stories. In '86 mm -hmm. was Maradona. Mm -hmm. um, Nigeria hadn't qualified yet. You know, Canada was at least there in '86. Um, 1990, um, when when England and Gascoigne, you know, all this stuff. Now and then Cameroon, mm. you know, shocked the world in '94 in 1990, and then '94 was when Nigeria qualified for the first time, and mm. that was like the most the best thing that ever happened in my life. Uh, well, not you know, just about, but it was, I was so incredibly proud. And, you know, I had always thought of that. I grew up in a football nation, but since they'd never qualified for the world cup, no one else knew that. So I still remember, uh, an, an Indian missionary kid, friend of mine calling me and saying, Oh, I heard that Nigeria qualified. They're going to be a joke. 
Oh. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, do you even play football in Nigeria? Oh. I was like, wow, this Ouch. is, what an insult. Yeah. Right? But, but then I realized, yeah, because Nigeria had actually, in 1959, Nigeria beat Lebanon, like hmm. 2-0 or something like that. Nigeria didn't play outside of Africa uh, at the senior level until before the 94 World Cup. So they actually weren't known out there. They had won some junior World Cups and things like that. So there was a reason why that guy just had, didn't know Nigeria was a football nation. So 94, in January, Nigeria won the African Cup for the, for the second time. So they, be, they were ranked fifth in the world when the World Cup started. No African country has ever gotten close to that. And this was just like this team. I mean, think I was 20 years old when, you know, at that time. So that's like, you know, you're, and, you know, we had J.J. Okocha, Amokachi, Amonike, Finidi, Olis, oh my, these, these, <laughs> these are still national heroes, right? And these guys went to the World Cup and just shocked the world. Um, 3-0 defeat of Bulgaria. Um, the best debut game for any team ever in the World Cup. Mm. And I still remember watching it at... Um, a friend's house in East Grand Rapids because I was here at the time. Hmm. And I still remember, and, and there were two Bulgarian guys who were students at Calvin who had also grown up in Nigeria. So we were all watching it together. And there was obviously trash talking and all that. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and, and that's part of what, what's great about it, right? And so I, I still remember that game. And the first goal scored by Rashidi Yakini, the first ever Nigerian goal in the World Cup, you, you may have seen this image. He goes to the back of the net and he grabs the mm -hmm. net like this. Mm -hmm. And then he shakes it like this. And it's still like an iconic photo. Later, my dad looked at it and thought it was a photo of like about liberation from African bondage. <laughs> and I was like, dad, there. dad, yeah. this, it's not, you know, this is about football. Yeah. Um, but it was celebration. It was joy. It yeah. wasn't, you know, and, um, and then I believe Amokachi and Amunike scored. So these guys are heroes. And then, uh, then the next game was, was Argent, no, next game was Argentina. Um, it was actually Maradona's last ever game because that's, he got caught for drugs after that again and then was thrown out forever. Um, and Nigeria, I believe, uh, Samson Siasia scored. See how I still remember this You stuff. do. And then, and then two goals by um, Claudio Canizia. Both of them, if I remember, were based on really dirty free kicks uh. that basically Argentina took the free kick before the ref blew the whistle. But you know, the refs were always going to favor Argentina. Mm -hmm. um, so we're still bitter. <laughs> yeah, I can see you're over it. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> so Argentina beat us in the 2002 yeah. World Cup, 2010 World Cup, 2014 Ooh. and 2018. Always Argentina, you're yeah. right. It, okay. Nigeria's been in the World Cup six times and five times Argentina was in the group. We've lost five times. Uh, Argentina beat Nigeria in the 2005 Under-20 World Cup, 19, uh, 2008 Olympic final. So it's pretty pain. bad. Yeah. yeah. So that was 94. Then we beat Greece went to the second round, took Italy into overtime, almost beat Italy, and then just kind of, you know, naivety of these players at that level, and, yeah. and, and, and they ended up knocking us out. And then Italy went on to the final. Mm. Then 96, Nigeria won Olympic gold, shocked the world. Um, that was, and so that was like the first African team to win something at that level, you know. And th those, those were probably the two greatest moments. Yeah. Yeah. Those are, those are great moments, right? Yeah, and they go yeah. back and, yeah. and uh, sorry to cut you off there. Yeah, yeah, but I'm just wondering, like, what do you think of the state of Nigerian? You're talking about men's, right? Yeah, okay, yes. Um, oh, so yeah. I don't women's maybe football. you want to refer you. to and women's And there is football. a chapter in the book yep. on women's yep. football. So. so women's football in Nigeria has actually been far more successful than men's. And um, so the Nigerian women have been in every World Cup, and they've won the African Cup 10 of, th 10 of 13 times. So they're actually the most dominant women's team in, on a continental level. Well, uh, the, well, 
Yeah, because even in the in North America, Canada and the U.S. are a bit balanced now, mm. right? But the, but Nigeria just has just cleaned up in in terms of that. They've been in I believe every Olympics, every every Women's World Cup since since it started since it was it started in 1991. And is that because the clubs are strong? I mean, um, what, I, I think how would you describe yeah, why it, they're elevating yeah, themselves? I think it's nat it's natural athleticism. All right. um, it really wasn't like there was a particular focus on women's football. I, th okay. I think where Nigeria has done really well is where it's just natural talent and where organization and technical ability doesn't matter. That's why we win. We've won five under 17 World Cups, mm. and very few of the players who win those World Cups actually go, go on, on. Yeah. to do. You know, there's some like Victor Osimhen of Napoli now was from one of those teams. Uh, Kelechi Hinacho, some of these guys. Um, but the women's game. So I think for the women in Africa, just it was just the, the natural talent was better. It wasn't any particular, it was almost like we were lucky and we were just better. <laughs> um, but that's why then every time the women would go to a World Cup, they would normally get knocked out. And the, except 99, they went to the quarterfinals. And the last World Cup, they went to round of 16. Mm. Yeah, but women's football is actually, but because football is often seen in a Nigerian context as a men's game, um, the women kind of get second, second treatment, mm -hmm. even though they're more successful. Mm. But, you know, w when some of the big women's games have filled stadiums, you know, 40, 50,000 people. So it's quite impressive. Yeah. Yeah. You've written about stories, heroes yeah. and epics. Yes. But you're clearly not just a scholar of right. sport. Right. Yeah. So we're talking with the leader of the flagship institution for the Christian Reformed Church, mm -hmm. who's crazy for sports. Yes. I'm getting goosebumps. I can't yes. even imagine what this is doing to you, Brian. <laughs> we're but having I, a good time I, over here. I, yeah. I love this. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. I love this. And I want to ask you about someone that might not love this so much mm -hmm. and say, it's just sport. Yeah. Why are you spending so much time thinking about it? Why did you write your dissertation? You know, right. Why do you love it so much? Right. Well, I told you already why I wrote my dissertation. True. Mm. You know, um, but as in like why I'm so supportive of sports here or generally. Yeah, you're, you're listing these names that, yeah, yeah, that only yeah. a crazy mad fan of African yeah. soccer would no. be able to name. Every Nigerian knows these names. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> so um, your, your World Cup yes. knowledge, your history yeah. of all yeah. of that yeah. is yeah. is greater than most Americans. Right, I would say right, greater right, than most right, people right, on this right. campus yeah. probably. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I would imagine like I, don't, I know nothing about American football. And you could probably tell me who won the Super Bowl 21 years ago. Right, and maybe who threw and the I'm probably winning, still mad about it. Winning yeah. touchdown, yeah, and you're probably still, but I have no idea. So I think it, it's also. Mm -hmm. you Are know, you trying to downplay your how much you love sport? Is that no, no, no. no. I'm just saying that I think everybody loves sports. Okay, okay. Um, I, I actually think it's it's pretty common, especially in this community. I found. I mean, you know, there 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 are, there are fans out there watching football here, soccer here, you know, in terribly cold weather and windy and all that, and they're still out there supporting. Um, so I, I think this community is generally pretty supportive of sports maybe not as focused as mine has been uh, but i think generally there's a, there's there's a, there's a lot of support here so yeah okay that's great yeah yeah so uh, i think i mean for us this has mm -hmm. been great for us to hear that and i wonder this is a little parochial but mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just wondering like tell us a little bit about how you see your role mm -hmm. as a mm -hmm. president mm -hmm. uh as it intersects mm -hmm. with sport you know, just to, mm -hmm. uh, the the variety of different sports here mm -hmm. at, at Calvin mm -hmm. or at a university, but also like how you see speaking into that integration of mm -hmm. faith mm -hmm. into sport from your yeah. from your position. Yeah, no, I talked about it earlier about how I want our athletes to be to see themselves as evangelists. Um, don't swear on the field. Don't get mad at the ref. You know, and and hold. You know, and and just know that you are there representing this Christian university. 
Um, and I think we can be an amazing witness that way. Um, but, but like I said, it's also, you know, the active sport and the active of, of exercise and fitness is all about, you know, taking care of our bodies as temples. Um, so there's so many elements that, you know, maybe the Bible doesn't directly talk about sports, but, you know, it, it, it basically, there's a lot of things that it speaks to, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so I think it's that part about sports can be a ministry, but then also our coaches and you're one of them, Mm -hmm. um, from what I understand are, I mean, and my coach, Brian Deemer was, you know, between him. Yeah. He was one of the major, my major influences on campus. I spent more time with him than I did any of my professors traveled with him, you know, meets and all that. And, and, and so he was a witness to me as a, as a strong man of faith. Um, and someone who, who demonstrated by leading by example of what it meant to, to train and work hard and be committed and lead. Um, and, and the, the, um, the, the way that he was a witness to us and to other teams, other coaches, he was always, um, he never got angry. Even, I mean, when things weren't fair, he spoke out for us, but he, he didn't, you know, he didn't, he, I never, I heard other coaches swearing, I never heard him swearing. It was always like he was a motivator and a man who knew he was a symbol and he was representing something greater. And that's what our coaches here do as well. Uh, and it also means that then the student experience, the students that go through, you know, they get faith and learning in classroom, but then that means they also get it out on the field. Mm. And it, it, I think it reinforces and it just makes it a better experience. Well, Brian Deemer, who recently retired, uh, really was a great example of coaching here at Calvin. And we really have a, I'm just privileged to work with uh, a, a group of coaches that are really dedicated to their craft, dedicated to uh, the integration of faith in the work that they do. And we're really excited to, to go on into our next chapter here at Calvin, uh, but also really excited about the World Cup. Let's close out. Do you have a, yeah. do you have a favorite? Well, um, I have a least favorite. Let me say that. So, <laughs> so Ghana has been absolutely oh. terrible for the last like four years, right? They played one incredibly good game and knocked Nigeria out of the World Cup. Hmm. And I'm still bitter. Mm-hmm. I was actually at the game in Abuja in the stadium when they lost. When they, well, it was actually a 1-1 draw, but because it had been 0-0 in Accra and they, uh, they, they basically qualified on away goals rule. So I was, it was in the Abuja National Stadium 60,000 capacity. There were clearly 80 to 90,000 people there. There was no safety, no nothing. Yeah. Um, and the Nigerian fans came out in huge numbers to support the team and create the atmosphere that they needed. There were literally about 50 Ghanaian fans, as in really? 50, Ghana- 50 people wearing Ghanaian jerseys with mm-hmm. flags. There may have been a few others who just didn't want to admit it. But there was basically 80,000 Nigerian fans, very vocal, cheering the team on. So the team... The team had everything they needed to win. All they needed was one more goal. And our team was way better than Ghana in terms of the quality of the players on the pitch. But Thomas Partey played the game of his life. Mm. And he's from Arsenal, which is, the problem is I'm an Arsenal fan. (laughs) But Thomas Partey played the game of his life and just mastermind, Mm. you know, and masterminded the whole game. And they they won. Now, I left the stadium at the 83rd minute because I could see what was coming. Because I knew that if we if we were knocked out of the World Cup, there was no security, there was yeah. no anything, mm-hmm. and so I left. But yeah, it, it did turn out to be chaos, and yeah. um, you know, and in the end, okay, Ghana outplayed us, so we have to accept that. But uh, it, yeah, it's still painful. Um, so 
So I, I know we have lots of Ghanaian students at Calvin, so I'm sorry, but I do hope <laughs> Ghana gets knocked out quickly. Um, I'm hoping for Senegal to do really well. I think Senegal will do better than any other African team ever, um, as long as Sadio Mane is fit for the for game two. I don't think he can play game one. Um, obviously, I want the Netherlands to win. We've lost three finals, lost two semifinals. You know, so we've been mm-hmm. in five right semifinals. Yeah. We're the best team ever to not win the World Cup, and it's time. Um, so I think the Netherlands will do well. I think we have a pretty balanced team. Van Dijk is not in the form he was two years ago, mm. three years ago, but I still think he's the the general that can take us there. Um, as long as Argentina or Ghana don't win, I'm actually okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we're, yeah. I mean, sitting next to a guy from Hope, we're not very familiar with kind of rooting against your rival. We would, <laughs> right. we would yeah. never do yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, no, but what I do say is that it's only during the World Cup that we can cheer for the the, the Dutch. Yeah, and the orange and blue. So, there. yeah, that's the only time. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. We'll take it anytime you yeah. want to do that. <laughs> that's awesome. fine. Right. Yeah. Uh, President Bohr, thanks so yeah. much for spending a little time for us yeah. with us. Uh, thanks for writing this book, and yep. thanks for your enthusiasm for sport, for football, uh, and for you know all the work that you've done so far to elevate sport here at Texas. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Sport Faith Life podcast. Find previous episodes at sportfaithlife.com and on Apple Podcasts. We're releasing each episode with a blog post authored by our guests, so you can find the blog for this podcast and other posts at the same website, sportfaithlife.com. Sportfaithlife.com